So how many of you guys have ever been a victim of a broken promise? Come on. Okay. Let's try again. How many of you guys have ever been the victim of a broken promise? Okay. Yeah. You can raise two hands if you're doubly victimized for a broken promise. That's what I was expecting. Now, here is another question, a little less impactful in our lives. How many of you guys have ever watched an infomercial before? Okay. If you don't know what an infomercial is, you know, it's these, these uh, long-form commercials that are supposedly, objectively showing you what these products can do in the hopes that you buy them at a reasonably cheap price. Um, and I don't know if you believe this or not, but when I was a kid, I was actually pretty weird. Um, I paused because I knew there was something coming. So when I grew up, I was weird. I had no cable television, and my internet was prohibitively slow until I was probably an early teenager. So I relied on the free TV that these news stations, not news stations, that just TV stations in general, would pump out over the airwaves, and an antenna, a physical piece of metal on the roof of my house, would pick these up for free and port them to my TV, which is just... Obviously, I mean, a lot of you went through that and lived that, but some of you younger people probably haven't. Uh, when I say younger people, that makes me feel weird. Um, <laughs> anyway, so no joke, I used to watch infomercials for hours, okay? Like, there was, I don't know why, but there was just something fascinating about them to me. I, I loved the crazy demonstrations, just the outlandish things that these people would do, like take like this butcher knife, and, like try to chop down a tree with it, you know, and like, we've been doing this for three hours and look how sharp the blade still is and like slice a piece of paper or something. Like, just like, obviously no one would ever do that. So I would be watching these infomercials and like drinking the Kool-Aid of these infomercials. I loved it. And I would, you know, my, my mom, poor mom and dad who were like actually trying to keep us alive and work and clean the house and survive I would like jump off their bed run up to them like a good little salesman and say mom did you know that there's this all-in-one egg boiler and de-sheller machine that we can buy and it does this and this and this and we will have perfectly boiled and de-shelled eggs every single time every single time and she would say, no, I don't think we're going to buy that. I'd be like, oh, you're an idiot. Why? It's so perfect. It's like the perfect product. If you could just see it, come look at this guy. Do, and she never did. Uh, so I would return sad, but hopeful of another infomercial and another chance. So something changed for me. Well, I started making my own money. Okay, so I went to Bible college, and when I was in Bible college, I had this epiphany. I was walking in Walmart, buying my own groceries, and I saw this as seen on TV section at Walmart. And wouldn't you know it, there was a sham wow right there. I was like, wait, hold on a second. I can buy that. Like, I have money. That's my own. I don't... The only person I need to convince right now is myself. Okay? So guess what I did? After so many years of watching my 
my buddy, Vince Shlomi. <laughs> Do the slap chopper and the sham wow. It was my opportunity to buy one, so I bought one. And I sprinted home. And I threw it in a glass of water. I was like, I'm going to try all these demonstrations that Vince did. I like knew them, too. I threw it in a glass of water, and I was expecting to go and suck it all up like a magic sponge. And I just stood there, and I looked at it. And it didn't do anything. I mean, it absorbed a little water. Obviously, like any fabric is going to absorb a little bit of water. But at that moment, my dreams were crushed. And I ran headfirst into reality. Promises are sometimes broken. Ugh! It killed me. I was like, I can't believe Vince would do this to me. We all know what that feels like, right? We've experienced... The brokenness of promises all through life. So then, if promises are broken, what then are we to make of the promises of Scripture? Maybe a better question would be, what are the promises of Scripture? What is it even promising us? What is God saying? After all, we sing songs here on Sunday mornings where we say, Promise maker, promise keeper, you finish what you begin. What did he start? How do we know he's going to finish it? We even just recently added a new song to our lineup called Promises. An entire song, and the title is called Promises. And maybe you haven't thought about it before, but when someone says, oh, the promises of God, like it's a, it's a pretty common thing in Christian circles to say, oh yeah, God's promises, we're talking about his things. What are are they even talking about? What do they mean? What are they? How do they apply to our lives? It's this question, these questions, that have inspired this series that we're starting called Promises. And what we're going to be doing is trying to explore those questions, explore what the Bible says, explore the promises that it makes, explore what God says. So in the coming weeks, we will expound on specific promises, things that Scripture specifically says. But for today, we are going to lay the foundation for the discussion by looking at the general theme of promises in Scripture, promise-making in Scripture. Uh, And then from there, we can build. So let's start with some basic information on the promises in the Bible. And you guys probably already know this. What are the two major sections of the Bible? Right, Old and New Testament. Old and New Testament. Maybe you guys don't know this for sure, but uh, these were testaments, which are just weird words. We don't usually say testaments. It's actually just the word covenant. So a testament is a covenant, and a covenant is a promise with conditions. A covenant is an agreement made between two parties where someone says, I promise to do this if you promise to do this. So, for example, covenants... Take marriage. Many of us are married. I promised Amber that I will love her and take care of her until the day I die. And she did the same thing to me. And we also promised that we're going to be faithful to each other. So that is like maybe the most realistic example of a covenant that we have in everyday life. And so it would be accurate to say when we say Old and New Testament, what we're actually saying is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant So our Bible is literally broken into two sections with their entire names saying promises. 
We have these old promises and we have these new promises that come with agreements and conditions. And just because they're old doesn't mean they're not important anymore, somehow invalid because of the new ones. They are just called old simply because they came before the new ones, right? Chuck came before me, so to me, he is old. (laughs) Isaac came after me, so to me, he is new, right? That's just how it is. Uh, So, I was going to say something else about Chuck, but I decided not to, because I love you so much, and I don't want to pick on you too much. You're so gracious to me, giving me someone to talk to while I'm up here. So, the Old Covenant was established by God to the people of Israel, and the New Covenant was brought about as a continuation of that. It's actually kind of a misnomer to say they're split. Right? It's, they're just a continuation. The New Covenant, the New Testament, is a continuation of what God is doing. It is a fulfillment of what God has set out to do. Jesus himself says this in, in Matthew five seventeen and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, which is what we would call the Old Testament. That was the Hebrew Bible. So when Jesus talks about scriptures, in fact, when anybody in the New Testament talks about the scriptures or the writings or the law and the prophets, they are referring to what we call the Old Testament. All right. So I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth have passed away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the law and the prophets, like I said, is what the Old Testament would be. And Jesus isn't saying we're going to throw them out. We're not getting rid of them. They are going to be made fulfilled through me, through what we're doing here that is new. So with this understanding... Let's also recognize that things did change between the Old and the New Testament, right? How the Old Testament was practiced by the people of Israel and how the New Covenant is practiced by Christians today. Things have changed, but we're not going to get into that right now. But we just need to keep that in mind. So the point is, though, overall, that the Bible is actually just a collection of promises and the record of those promises being fulfilled. That's really just what this is. It is a collection of God's promises and what he did about them. So, this is extremely exciting to me. Because not only is it a record of what God said he's going to do and what he did, but there are also promises in there that are yet to be fulfilled. All right, There are things that God has said that still haven't happened yet. And we will get into that a little bit later in the coming weeks. But if you're interested in that and learning more, I hope you come back and join me. So here's a mind-blowing fact with a story that I want to tell you. So there's this man named Everett Storms. He's a Canadian. We have some Canadian friends here with us today who are visiting with us. Um, Everett Storms was a Canadian. And someone along the lines told Everett, hey, there are 30,000 promises made in Scripture. And he got together with his buddies, and he said, I don't think that's right. I think that's too high. Considering there are 31,000 verses in Scripture, uh, to say there are 30,000 promises would be a little too high. So Everett Storm, Storms, on his 27th time reading through the Bible completely, decided that he was going to take his time and write down every single promise and commitment made by God that he could find. So after he, it took him uh, almost two years to do this. And at the end, he numbered the promises of 8,810. 
7,487 of which were promises made from God to humans, to humankind. So today marks the beginning of our 170-year-long sermon series, where we are going to, week by week, look at every single 8,810 promises. But seriously, think about it. That is one promise, one promise that God makes for every three and a half verses of Scripture. That's a lot of promises. That's a lot of promises. You may not have realized it before, but I don't think I I thought about it this way until I was just sitting here thinking about it for this message. But the Bible is mainly what God has promised. That's what we're reading. Who he says he is, what he's done, and what he has promised. And it's old and it's reliable. So... I like to see how sometimes when we have new companies that come up, right, they like to say, oh, we're established in such and such a day. So like Jehovah's jo- or Josiah's Java, right, established 2023. I'm not starting a company, but and as an example. And it's just kind of like silly to me. It's like, why would you advertise that you've only been doing business for like four months, you know? Like just wait 10 years before you say established, whatever. Interestingly, the longest-running company is called Kongogumi, and it's a construction company in Japan founded to build a Buddhist temple. Uh, sorry, Shotoku was this prince in Japan. He commissioned this company, and it's still running today, but he commissioned the building of that temple in 578 AD. So this company has been running. I don't think the original owner is still alive, but... <laughs> This guy has been, this, this company has been running for like 1,500 years, right? It's the same company. Uh, but compared to the Bible, that's, those are baby numbers. Those are rookie numbers, okay? Because guess how long the Bible has been recording things since the beginning, all right? And I don't, that's a long time ago, okay? It's just the beginning. So since then... <laughs> So since we've had the time-space continuum in existence and there's been, a, there's been mass and time and gravity, God has been giving a record to us. And we find that in Scripture. And it only takes three chapters until we get to the first promise that God ever made to people. Genesis chapter 3.15 says this, And I will make enemies of you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent who deceived Eve. And you and of your offspring and her descendants. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So this is the first promise of something in the future that God makes. He's saying someday the descendant of Eve is going to crush your head. So very near the beginning of time, God is already making promises. And this Genesis 3 passage, which you may already know, It's just a foreshadowing of the victory that Jesus wins over death, over Satan, at the cross and resurrection. So, so far we've seen that the Bible, let's just recap it here. So far we've seen that the Bible has a major emphasis on promises. But promises are only as good as the person making them, right? So no wonder the sham wow didn't stand up to its promises. Vince Shlomi was arrested for doing some very naughty things in Florida, okay? And he was put in jail, all right, so I'm not surprised that his testimony and his promises failed. 
he could have been deceiving me about the ShamWow, and based on my experience, it seems he was a little bit, okay? He wasn't completely honest about the ShamWow's capabilities. But Vince could not be any more different than Yahweh, our God. So there's this amazing moment. Go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 34. There's this amazing moment in the record of Exodus. So there's this guy named Moses, which you probably have heard of. And Moses uh, had a lot of problems. He was, he was a troubled child, okay? He had his issues. But God chose him to help lead the people, God's people, the Israelites, out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land. Even the, the place where God had, uh, was leading the Israelites, they called it the promised land because it was this really old covenant that God made uh, with the Israelites' uh, father, Abraham. So they go through the ten plagues, right? They come out of Egypt, and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and God is establishing this covenant with the people. And God talks to Moses, and he's going to give him his commands and what he wants the Israelite people to do, things like that. And then we have this experience recorded from Moses here. Look at Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord. And when you see Lord in all caps, says Yahweh, the, the name of God. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in faithfulness and truth, who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation, of his laws and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, inflicting the punishment of the father on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. So Moses goes and talks to God. And God says, this is who I am. My name is God. I'm your God, by the way. And here's who I am. And he says, I am abounding in faithfulness and truth. And the word that I want to focus on here is the word truth. So the word truth in Hebrew, which is the original language of the scripture, is amen. Right? And this is actually where we get the modern English word amen. So when we say amen, you are saying emet from Hebrew. And emet means true, faithful, correct, which is crazy because God is saying, this is who he is. All right? God is true. He's just plainly faithful. Now, I've met a lot of people in my life. Even the sweetest and cutest old grandmas that I've met are not always faithful and true. Okay? Even the most innocent of us and the most loving and compassionate people I've ever met are not always faithful and true. But God is intrinsically true. Now, if you want to impress your friends this week, you can go up to them and say, did you know that Yahweh is ontologically true? You can go and say that. That ontology is just a study of nature. So you can say, at church this week, we learned that God makes promises and they are faithful because he is ontologically true. Did you know that? It, not that the big words make you less right or more right. They just are fun to say. So anyway, 
God is in his nature. Who he is, is true and faithful. And that means, unlike our buddy Vince Shlomi, God can't lie. Right? He can't make falsehoods. Scripture even says that. He's not a man that he should lie. And on top of that, God is almighty, which means he is powerful above everything else. So if God can't lie, and he has the power to do anything, it means that when he says something, when he makes a promise, it's going to happen. Right? Just because of who he is. Right? But you may be saying to yourself, well, it's all fine and good for God to self-report about himself. He can say whatever he wants. But is there any evidence that God is actually faithful and true? Well, I'm really glad you thought that and asked. I could hear it in your head. Because the Bible is literally full of evidence that God is faithful and true. If you open up any book in the Bible, you will see God follows through on what he says. But I want to look at a specific example here from Joshua. So Joshua 23, here I have it for you on the screen. Joshua is the man who takes over after Moses. So Moses is in the wilderness. We just read an account from Exodus. Joshua takes over. They go in the promised land. All these amazing things happen. They conquer cities. God performs miracles. And right before Joseph dies, he wants to leave Israel in good hands. And he says, hey, leaders of Israel who are coming after me, this is what I want you to know. So Joshua 23, 14 through 16 says this. Now I'm going the way of all the earth. This is Joshua talking in first person. You know in all your hearts and souls that not a single word has failed out of the good things that Yahweh your God has said concerning you. All came true for you. As if he didn't make his point already, he goes on to say, not a single word among them failed. Not one of them failed. So just as every good thing that the Lord your God said to you came to be, he changes here a little bit, even so the Lord can bring every bad thing upon you until he has destroyed you from the good land that the Lord your God gave to you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God that he commanded you and go and serve other gods and worship them, the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land that he gave you. Not even just like a slow burn. Boom, you'll be gone. Just, that's it. But focus on this here for a second. He's talking to people who lived through the wilderness who lived through the conquering of the promised land, who crossed over the Jordan River on dry dry ground, saw all these miracles. And he's talking to people who live this. And he says, you know in your hearts, from your experience, you know that not one word failed out of the things that God said he was going to do for you. Not one of them. So after a lifetime of living with God, Nothing that he said failed these people. But it also comes with a warning because we are in a covenant with God. So just because all these good things also came, there's the other side of the covenant, the bad side. Like, you need to be responsible, right? So this covenant was to break. Bad things would happen for them, obviously. 
God would remove his blessing and his anger would burn towards him, which sounds harsh, but God takes his promises seriously. What God does in Scripture is more important than any marriage covenant that we could have. It's more important than any contract that you could sign. It is lasting, and he takes it extremely seriously. And there's a lot of evidence in Scripture that God is a promise maker and that he's a promise keeper. Right? But in, in addition to the biblical evidence, like what we just read from Joshua, we have lived experience. Right? We're not just people who are just reading about who God is. We are people who have experienced who God is. So maybe you haven't had the pleasure of seeing God's faithfulness in your life. But if you haven't, talk to some of the people in this room who have walked with God and have seen God faithfully take care of them and fulfill his promises for their life, their whole lives. We also have lived experience. I have lived experience of God's faithfulness. And I know that most of you do as well. So that's what we're going to call it for today. All right. Just going to put a pause on this series now. And we'll move on in the coming weeks. But real quick, let's recap what we learned. What we saw. We saw that the Bible is a book of promise. We saw that faithfulness is a part of God's nature. Which means it's just who he is. And we saw that there's not a single word of God's promises that will fail. It sounds simple, but these things are true. And we have so many interesting and life-changing promises to look at in the coming weeks, and I can't wait for it. And I think this series is going to be refreshing for some of us, and perhaps transformative for some of us, as we come to explore what God says in his word. So, please pray with me. God, I thank you for the opportunity to look at who you are as a promise maker and a promise keeper. I just pray that you give us wisdom to discern the truth about who you are and what you say. And thank you for the commitments you made to us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.